Romans chapter 6. As we're going through the book of Romans. <clears throat> I'm glad to have the kids in here this morning. Pay real close attention. I'm going to say some things that hopefully you'll remember for the rest of your life. What I'm going to talk to you about this morning is for Christians, okay? Now, some of you are going <clears> to <throat> wonder about some of these things. This is, Romans was written to Roman Christians, all right? And, but it's got in there a lot of the gospel for unsaved people in Rome as well. But this stuff here, this stuff is about the Christian life and about the, the victory of the Christian's life. We're not, we're not stuck in this world. How many want to go home? I'm not talking about home here. I'm talking about <clears throat> I, there is something better coming up. And so we're not stuck here. The hole in the ground, which is our grave, is not the end of our life. So um, uh, we live in victory. And I want to talk to you about, and it's just beginning. We're, only, we're, we're just only going to deal with the first five verses or so in um, uh, Romans chapter 6. But we're going to talk about the Christian's chains of sin the grip of sin have been broken by death all right sometimes we want a superhero to break us free but our superhero died to make us free so let's talk about uh being this thought of dead to sin romans chapter 6 and verse 23 while you're turning there i'm going to make a statement number one <clears throat> uh, mankind has done a lot of sinning throughout history Sin reigns in this world. It's the king of the universe. Sin causes absolutely everything to wind down, wear out, run down, fall, and die. Sin ruins politics. It ruins businesses. It ruins marriages. It ruins churches. It defiles movies. You go and you just want to watch a funny thing on the television. You pull out uh, a, a, we used to rent a, a DVD. You'd put it in there and they would throw something in there and it would defile the whole movie. Sin ruins movies and music. I never knew all the innuendos that music could hold. It ruins everything. Now the truth is there's no one who doesn't sin. There's no one on this planet who doesn't break God's laws, hurt other people, and offend God. Our newspapers report it every day. I don't even buy a newspaper because all it is is the results of sin. The laws of God expose sin. Our conscience knows sin. You know, the only reason <clears throat> why most people don't believe, don't want to be saved, is because they don't think they're, they don't believe they're very bad because they're purposely ignorant of God's laws and they burned out their conscience, so they, so they pumped themselves up saying, I'm not so bad. It's like a drunkard. A drunkard will sit there and, and come out of a pub, and he's had six or seven pints. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I, I can drive home. And that's just, that's stupidity. And that's blindness to the real, to the reality that they are drunk, and they're a danger if they, they they're even a danger walking. Now, the truth is, sin brings death. Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. <clears throat> 6.23 says, the wages of sin, the results of sin, the payoff of sin is what? All right. I'm glad for the last half of the verse, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the first part we're focusing on, sin brings death. It's a universal law. Uh, there are consequences to what you do. You steal from your sister, you're going to get a black eye, right? <laughs> there are consequences 
Uh, it's part of what we call the second law of thermodynamics. Physicists finally figured out the Bible is true. Everything's falling apart because of sin. And in life, it's called corruption and decay. I mean, you, 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 you make something, uh, and two decades later, it's falling apart. Uh, just sitting there on the shelf. Um, things sin brings decay and death. But instead of letting sin win, I'm glad I read the, the rest of the story in the Bible. Instead of letting sin win and bring death to everyone, God has covered all our sins. It's called amazing grace. And it's even better than that. The truth is God has made it possible for every believer. Wow. Every believer to no longer be a slave to sin and to continue in any sin. Jesus broke the grip of sin on us. Every believer in this room can and should live in victory. Where once pornography and lust and bitterness and anger and shame and depression and hurt and sorrow and covetousness and lying and laziness and greed were winning. We should live in victory. Romans chapter 5 talks about how or, or why we can live in victory and it's because of grace. Romans chapter 6 and 7 explains how we live in victory. So let me just read through this. I, I, when I, <clears throat> I, I thought I should skip all this. I should just never do my reviews. We just go into the next verses. But I just, I know when I try to teach on, especially on a portion of Scripture in Romans, we could, we could stay there for a month of Sundays. There is such truth here. I've got to tell you, we're going to look at these verses starting in verse Chapter 5, verse 14, I want to show you that in simple words, let me start here, in simple words, every time we sin, every time we get angry and lust and lie, there's something called grace that God has that can cover it and fix it. Aren't you glad? I mean, there are laws against lying, amen? There's laws against stealing. There's laws against abuse. But I'm glad God gave grace to fix it. Do you understand? All right? So look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 14. I'm just going to rush through this thing a bit. Unfortunately, we did, if you want to know some of this stuff, go back to last week's. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression. None of us had to choose between the tree of good and evil and obeying God. But we still sin, and sin still reigned. Adam, who is the figure of him that was to come, who was to come, who's the one that, we're look, that, 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 that after Adam that the world was looking for? It was Jesus, all right. Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. I love that old English. Not the same way as the offense, as the sin, is the gift. Watch this. For if through the offense of one, Adam, Many be dead. <laughs> there are a lot of death, dead. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded also unto many. So the first thing I want you to see in those two verses is because of Jesus Christ, you can never exhaust the grace of God. It never runs out. Um, Death reigned because of sin, but the free gift that God gave us is greater than our sin, and it never can be exhausted. God doesn't say, whoops, I'm all out of grace. You're done for. No, he doesn't do that. Now look at verse 16. 
We keep reading. And not as it was by one that sinned, there's Adam, so is the gift. So the gift is nothing like the sin. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. Wow, the judgment on Adam condemned us all, but the free gift is of many offenses all the way to justification. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned, God can justify you, forgive you, pardon you, make you a new person. Verse, um, uh, see where I'm supposed to stop. I better stop there for a second. And the point is this, unlike sin is the gift. They're not in the same category. Sin brought condemnation to sinners. God's grace brought forgiveness. You know, the laws of God couldn't pay for our sin, couldn't correct the human heart, but you know what can? Grace. You know, kindness goes a whole lot longer than a punch, amen? Now, sometimes you want a punch, but honestly, kindness can melt the human heart. God knew that when he designed us. He said, I'll have grace toward him. Not that he just gives us the freedom to do whatever we want, but he kind of is really nice to us when we don't deserve it. So here's the point, all right? Compared to the debt of my sin, I mean, that's heavy enough. I can't imagine if you were to try to list, just ask my mother, all the trouble I got into when I was growing up and all the things that I did, I think that's pretty heavy. But then comes along God's grace and God's gift of grace is heavier. Isn't that cool? So he makes up for in an abundant amount for all of my sin and the debt of my sin. We keep going there in verse 17 now. 17, 18, 19, he says this. For if by one man's offense, there's Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in, in, in life by another one. Who is it? Jesus Christ, 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, Wow, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. The free gift came upon all men under justification of life. He's almost repeating himself. He keeps saying it just slightly different. So each time he says it, you get the bigger picture. That this, this Christ's righteousness, instead of sin and death reigning, his righteousness and, and life now reigns in the life of the believer. When you start to believe that you are no longer condemned, that you, you sin, but it's not going to send you to hell, that you are forgiven, that you are a child of God, that as far as God's concerned, you're his forever. Amen. When you start to realize that, it starts to have a, a, an effect on how you view this world and how you view sin in your life. And the truth is, uh, Jesus Christ reigns in my life now instead of sin. Let me move on. Look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Wow, it's like turning the light on. You find out how many bugs are on the floor <laughs> or on the counter. And the law illuminates our sin. But where sin abounded, would you say the last part with me? Grace did much more abound. Isn't that awesome? God has more grace toward us than we have sin. That is breathtaking. Where sin abounded, God's grace was more abundant. You never can go into overdraft with God. Now, I don't know if some of you, you have, if you even have checking accounts, people have Revolut. They have all kinds of different ways they handle money these days. Um, but, you know, if you ever do go into overdraft, you get penalized. And all of a sudden you find out you don't have any money anymore in the bank. Let me tell you this, you'll never 
run Jesus dry. You'll never go into overdraft with God. He always has more grace toward us than our sin. Now, can you, can you say this with me? Grace is greater than all our sin. That's chapter 5. Now, the question is this. How do we handle temptation and sin now? We're still tempted, amen? Somebody buys a, you know, a, a box of ferrochets. <laughs> We're all tempted, amen? I mean, there's, it's like a magnet. That, that, that magnet just talks to us, you know? <laughs> need me <laughs> you love me you know <laughs> and and temptation is still there i've actually met some people who said i haven't sinned in 28 years i look and i says you just lied <laughs> i mean that's a nightmare to believe that you don't get tempted and you don't sin we all sin and we are tempted my temptation may be different than yours i know some people they smell uh, cigarette smoke and they're tempted to smoke some of them, they get into a stressful situation and they, they just look around to go buy a pack of cigarettes. I know some people on Friday night, they get tempted to go drink. I know temptation, those temptations are different than my temptations. We're all tempted to sin. Raise, you don't have to raise your hand, but think about it. We all are tempted to sin. The question is, what do I do? That's why Romans chapter 6 is written. <clears throat> let's, um, let's read chapter 6 and verse 1. If, I have, if God has grace for me when I sin, the question is, am I free to sin? <laughs> verse 1. I love this verse. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, just stop there for a second. Ponder that for a second. You see, God gave us his law to show the amount of sin that's in us. Like an x-ray machine, you may have a cough, and the x-ray machine comes up, takes a picture, and finds out you have stage 4 cancer in your lung. You may not even know how bad the cancer may be until they do an MRI or, a, or a, um, uh, an X-ray on you and they find out it's stage four. And you don't know how bad it is until something can examine you and find out what's really bad. And that's what the Bible does. That's why the, the laws of God are important to know how many kids grew up learning the Ten Commandments, almost none of them. And yet they're the most important thing. And if anybody's ever going to get saved, they're going to have to be examined and found to be liars found out to be thieves, found out to be covetous. They have to find out that they're lawbreakers, and the law was given to expose that, to show us the sin in us, to show us our nature. You know, you watch a dog, and a dog's got a nature about it. That's what makes it a dog, a cat. I don't know what it is, but it has a nature, all right? Birds have their nature. Well, we humans have a nature. Human nature, they call it. Yeah, it's sinful, isn't it? We're selfish by nature. We're proud. I mean, put two kids, they're three years old, in one room and one truck, one car, one toy, and they will find mine. <laughs> by nature, man. We're proud, we're hurtful, we're mean, we're liars, we're thieves. Not my little Johnny. 17 years old, you, you better know what that kid is. Now, the law shows us that, but let me say, God has also given us abundant grace. Now, there's a war on. Thank God. See, God gave us grace to pay for the removal of all that sin at his own expense. That's what grace is. God cleans up after our mess, doesn't he? That's grace. I mean, didn't your mom ever do that for you? 
You, you, you sneak downstairs. I'm looking at the kids. You get a bowl of Cheerios. Mom doesn't know. You go up, sneak upstairs, and you sit up in your bed, and you've got that bowl of Cheerios, and blah. And then you pull the covers over, <laughs> and you try to go to bed, you know, try to go to sleep. Mom finds out. Guess what mom does? She cleans it up, doesn't she? After she kills you. But no, she's got grace. That's what moms do. They clean up after our messes, amen? Even though that we shouldn't have brought the cereal up into bed, mom, well, God cleans up after our messes, amen? That's grace. God has abundant grace. It's an attitude of kindness that gives the offender what they don't deserve. Never forget the meaning of grace. What did God give us that we didn't deserve himself? As a man, became a man so he could die, so I don't have to. See, who would personally... This, this, this God we worship personally and perfectly paid for every sin I and all people everywhere have ever committed. That's grace. Let me give you an example. I think I gave you this example last week or the week before. A criminal standing before a judge, and the judge, going over all the evidence, determines that criminal is guilty and must pay for his crime. But then the judge asks that man if he would accept someone else paying for his crime, for which the criminal says, yes, of course. And then he says, well, who would do that? And then the judge steps down from the bench and then allows that sheriff to place him under arrest, the judge under arrest, and put him in handcuffs and carry him off as if he's a convicted criminal. And on his way out, the bailiff says, I guess you can go free. See, that's grace. The criminal should be the one going down the hall, down to prison, and yet the judge doing it so that the criminal could go free. That's grace. Now, what, what, here's the point. What do we do with this abundance of grace that God has towards criminals? Paul asked that, looked down in verse 1. Again, chapter 6, what shall we say then? What do we do with this truth? It, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I'm going to mark that word continue, all right? Now, if sin results in God's grace abounding, it kind of activates God's grace instead of his wrath. Since sin activates God's grace toward us, shouldn't we just keep on sinning? It'd be like somebody, you know, giving me some money because I'm sad, you know. Somebody says, somebody phones me up and says, hey, pastor, how you doing? Eh, I'm all right. My wife just threw me out. Car won't start. Don't have any money. Kind of depressed today. It's only Monday. <laughs> and they say, I'll be right over, pastor. And they come up, pick me up, take me for for a sandwich and give me a cup of coffee and then slip me 50 euros. You know what I might say? I think I'm going to be sad every day. <laughs> that will not work. That will not work. No. But just because somebody's kind to me when I'm going through that doesn't mean I should stay that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of us, we see somebody and they're in a bad way and we just go up to them and they don't even know us and we don't care who they are and we just give them some money, Amen. That's called kindness, what you're supposed to do. But it's a shame when somebody says, whoo, I think I'm just going to stay poor so I can have money. You see, that's what Paul is asking. Because God is so good to me when I sin, can I just keep sinning? Hmm. How many of you have ever, um, how many of you ever seen somebody drive on the wrong side of the road? Now, yes, <laughs> my mom, no. <laughs> now, I thought of this. 
I was with Gleb there several months ago. We are going to Mallow. I don't know where we were going or something. Uh, I don't know how you were in the car with me or whatever. But I saw this guy pull over and get in the, in the right-hand lane and just travel for a while and get around tractors or whatever. And he stayed in that right lane for a while. And I saw some cars coming at him. And what do the Irish do when they have somebody in their lane? They move over, aren't they? Unless they're from Dublin. <clears throat> but they, they have grace with them, don't they? And they let them, they go, I guess this nut needs a little space. And so they give them grace, and they let that person stay in the wrong lane for a little while. But can you imagine if the mindset of that person in that car getting in the wrong lane saying, wow, look, I can get ahead of everybody. Look, nothing's happening. Look, I'm able to stay in the wrong lane, and it's okay. Is it okay? That's what's going to (laughs) happen. You can only go so far on grace before God has to say, time for judgment, amen? Grace does have a limit, but we'll talk about that another day. But the point is, just because you've been smoking for 30 years and you haven't died yet, doesn't mean that you can just continue to keep smoking. It's by the grace of God you're still alive, amen? Amen. You cannot continue to drive on the wrong side of the road just because you're just because cars are being nice to you and giving you space, after a while, there will be an accident. Do you know smoking kills Christians? You ever pick up cigarettes and you say, well, I love Jesus. I'm saved. I got born again. I've been to church. And you start smoking, you will die. Because sin kills, doesn't it? Doesn't matter whether you're saved or lost. Drinking will still mess up your thinking, will still mess up your marriage, will still mess up your job and your life. There are consequences to sin. Just because God has grace doesn't mean you should enjoy sin. So the question is this. I love this question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Anybody want to know the answer? No. Look at verse 2. God forbid. I love those words. Those are the... In, in Greek, they're the, they're the strongest words. It, 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 in the original, it's no way, Jose. <laughs> it's uh, certainly not if you're British, all right? <laughs> uh, God says, God forbid. Paul says, God forbid. How shall we, look at what he says in verse 2, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, circle those three words now, dead to sin, live any longer therein? Some of the most important words ever written to the believer are these 12 words. How shall we that are dead to sin live, continue to live any longer therein? Now, if you're not saved, none of what I'm going to tell you this morning is going to make a lot of sense. It's going to go right over your head. I'm going to tell you, Christian, this ought to just make you come out of your seat and shout and praise God and go, wow. You know, when we get to heaven, I've been trying to figure out how to explain all this because it just is, is as rich as, as a five-layer chocolate cake. When you, when you come to this truth and you realize we're dead, all right, I want you to imagine just for a moment if you died right now. Weston's going, whoopee. <laughs> no more work. And if you died right now, guess what happens when you die? No more sin. Now, as a Christian, guess what? We'll be, we'll be away from the very 
presence of sin, the pull of sin will be gone. I, I, I will be living a whole new life. And that's something to look forward to. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But why do I have to wait until I physically die to actually enjoy freedom from sin? Because something, when I got saved and when you got born again, something in you died towards sin. And I think this is breathtaking. Hold on to your hats, okay? Um, the answer is in that question. How? It's like your mother saying, how could you end up doing this? It's not for you to answer. <laughs> it's an obvious answer. So, if you and I decide to abandon our old life, which is what we did when we got saved, how could you continue to live that old life still? Imagine moving into a 15-room mansion and still deciding to live in a three-room flat or, you know, a kitchen, a, a shower, and a, and a, and a bedroom. Uh, how, how, how could you, if you've got that, why would you live there? Do you understand? Some of you want to live in a tent, but that's only for a little while. If you were offered a job paying 35 euro an hour, how could you neglect that job and instead keep working for 11? All right, come talk to me. I'd like to help you. <laughs> Do you understand? If you just got married to the love of your life, how could you continue dating an old girlfriend? You know how dangerous that is? <laughs> You will not do it very long. <laughs> and the truth is this. We are dead to sin. This is a great truth. The Bible says that we who have been saved are now dead toward sin. Let's read verse 2 again. God forbid. How shall, the, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Remember, sin made us dead to God. It separated us from God. It's like taking the battery out of your phone. That, that phone is dead, dead, amen? And sin separates us, makes us dead towards God. God's dead towards us. Let's give an example. I hate giving some examples. This is one that's very, very poignant, so maybe you'll get the picture. Here's a man who's just committed adultery against his wife. Guess what he is to his wife? Dead. I hope you get the picture. And while I'm living in sin, that's how God sees me as an adulterer, as a fornicator, as a liar, as a thief, as covetous, as a parent-hater. You see, he sees my sin, and I'm dead to him. Until we want to be saved, until we want to be free from sin. Holding your place here in Romans, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. You're in Romans, go to the right, Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 1, this concept is throughout the Bible, and it's just good to finally put it all in perspective. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you, he's talking to us, hath he quickened, we'd say made alive, resurrected. You hath he quickened who were dead in our trespasses and our sins, okay? That's that, that was our state. When in time past you walked according to the course of this world, you just did what everybody else did. According to the prince of the power of the air, you did what the devil wanted. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as 
others. I love the next two words. What are they? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ by what? There's that word. It's because of his grace ye are saved. And it raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith now. And that not of yourselves. Salvation is not from you. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there goes every religion, every church, every temple, every mosque, everything that claims to be able to help you work your way to God. It's by God's grace. And you activate it by faith alone. End of story. Sin made us dead to God. And we find out that Christ makes us dead to sin. That's the contrast. See, I want to be alive toward God. Amen. But I need to be dead toward sin. See, Christ makes us dead to sin. Here's the point. Take your Bible, turn to Colossians 3. Still holding your place in Romans 6. Colossians 3. So you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 1. still speaking to us isn't it if ye then be risen with christ that's that resurrection the something inside of you is alive now your spirit what should we be doing seek those things which are whoo, way above where christ sitteth that's what we should be looking for the kingdom of god where christ sitteth on the right hand of god set your affection on things above not on things on the earth for ye are what 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 thank you you're dead and your life is now hid with Christ in God. <laughs> you say, I don't understand that. You'll never understand it. Not until you get to heaven. Just ponder it. I, my life is swallowed up in Christ in God. I am saved. It's a concept that this messed up human being can't fully understand but sure can enjoy. Christ made me dead toward sin. Folks, it's either one or the other. We're either dead towards God. And this sure is going on long, Pastor. Oh, this Bible sure is old. Man, this, this place is just irrelevant. Either you're dead towards God or you're dead towards sin. Amen. You know, when you drive by the pub or you drive by and it's packing out and the people are lining up there, if you're saved, you're looking at it and go, those poor souls, they need the gospel. That's how you know you're saved. You go through Cork City and you see all the girls with as little clothes on as possible and all the guys having control of them all. And you see all those people. And, and, and if your soul and your spirit says, I wish I was with them. Yeah. Or if you look at it and you look away and you say, God, give us the opportunity to win young people before they get so messed up they never look for you ever again in their life. You see, you're either dead towards God or you're dead towards sin. That's Paul. If, if sin doesn't bother you, you're dead towards God. But if you're alive towards God, sin will bother you. And really, don't you worry about all the other people's sin. Don't you look it out. Don't look down on anybody. You better be looking at yourself and see the sin in us that bothers us. And you need to start looking at it saying, it's dead. This sin is dead. The moment you and I got born again, part of me died to smoking, 
cursing, swearing, lusting, stealing, lying, hating. So how do you know if you're saved or not? Who's in control of your life? That thou shalt confess with thy mouth, not just Jesus, but the Lord Jesus. Before you and I were saved, sin was Lord of our life. We did what we felt like doing. Whatever came natural, what everyone else was doing, like drinking, fornicating, drugging. But after we were saved, Jesus became Lord of our life, and we do what he wants us to do, even when it's not normal. <laughs> you guys go to church twice on a Sunday? You guys go to hell on Wednesday again? You guys read the Bible? Yeah. Because I'm dead towards the world, but I'm alive toward God. You know, some people think that's normal. Some people think that's what we do as human beings in Ireland. I know a lot of people come to Ireland, that's what they want to do. But what a Christian does, we say we're dead to that. Amen. We're dead to that life. We're dead to that because I'm alive to God. Now let's continue. Back there in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? How do we live continually in that sin. Modern thinking says we should be free to sin. They believe it no longer matters to God if we break his laws. Boy, liberals and progressives, they look at anything from the past as wrong. Anything we used to believe was wrong. And that nothing is wrong today. Really? Hmm. You don't think God's laws are, are, are good for today? Well, I guess I'll just stop by your house next time you're away and I'll break in and take that big 62-inch plasma TV home with me. <clears throat> I deserve it more than you do. And if God's laws are really irrelevant, I guess it'll be okay for somebody to take off with your husband. Yeah, if God's laws are irrelevant. I guess it'd be okay for me to take your purse and use your personal information, get your credit cards and pay for some all-expensive trip to the Caribbean <laughs> how's that working out for you God's laws are really irrelevant aren't they no <laughs> don't say yeah <laughs> see modern thinking wants us to, wants everybody to be free to sin but you know what the fact is we are not free from sin you know the day we finally leave this world we die we will be free from sin We'll enter into God's presence one day and that gate is shut and the devil won't get in and there's no sin in heaven. There is no darkness. There's no lust. There's no sorrow. Listen, let me tell you this. It'll be worth it all. Whatever you go through in this life, it'll be worth it all. I'll be free from sin. But right now, sin still pulls at us and there's always a struggle. I mean, I don't care if you're six years old or 60 years old, you still struggle with sin. But those of us who have been born again are free from continuing to sin. Uh, justification and salvation made it possible for us to not live and talk the way the world lives and talks anymore. You do not have to live the way you used to. You will not be perfect in this life. Only one person ever lived perfectly. Who was that? All right. I strive to be more and more like him, but guess what I'll do? Fail. But the point is this. 
I do not have to talk like I used to. I do not have to live, eat, drink, look, sound, act like I used to. I am dead to that old life. That's the truth. I am free from continuing to sin. Why? Because sin is no more power over us. We're going to see that as we get into the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7. This is the big truth that so many Christians know nothing about. And lost people, you know why they give up trying to be good? Because they run out of energy and they just find out, I can't be good. You know, you, what you're missing is you cannot and you will never have the, the power to be free of a habitual sin, of, of an old-style habit that has just haunted you. Maybe it's a bitterness. Maybe it is a lust. Maybe it is any number of sins. You'll never be free of it until Christ gives you the power to be free, and he only gives that at salvation. Amen. You don't come and get it through eating a little wafer. You don't come and get it through somebody laying hands on you. You get it from Jesus Christ in you. And from that moment, if you ever sin, it's not because sin came knocking and grabbing you and dragging you down to the pub. It's because you wanted it. If you ever do lose your temper, if you ever do say something that only an unsafe person would say, if you ever do find yourself watching something that is filthy and ungodly and defiling, it'll be because you overrode the Holy Spirit and you said, I want it anyway. But sin never had control over you in that moment. Sin is no more power over us. Christ does. Man, I wish you knew that. You know, people talk about Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that's his name. But don't forget, he's Lord. He has a title. Now, here's, a, here's another great truth. We are finally free to choose to do right. Instead of God's law always cracking down on us in an instant, you know. You ever wonder why there's so many CCTV cameras around? <laughs> Because people are breaking laws and they're just trying to quickly catch them. Hmm. We now have been given a supernatural ability and society used to have it where they didn't need to be watched all the time. They had a conscience and then saved people have the Holy Spirit that tells us you better choose to do right. You better do the right thing. And we're able to do that because we're dead to sin. Now look in verse 3, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. How did we end up dead to sin? Verse 3. Now know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into water. Is that what it says? Thank you. Jesus Christ. Do not. There's no water in the entire book of Romans. There's no water baptism. There's no sprinkling. No nothing. There's not even any coffee in Romans. There is Jesus Christ, and as many of us as were uh, buried into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Watch this. Therefore, we are buried with him. If he died and was buried, I guess we're dead and buried with him by baptism, by immersion into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should now walk how? In a brand new life, man. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, guess what? We shall also be one day in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, how do we end up dead to sin? By faith in Jesus Christ. It ruined us, amen? It ruined our old life. I've had people tell me, I want my old husband back after they got saved. 
And, and the wife was saying, I, I, used, I used to know where he was. Well, you know where he is. He's down at the church. He's down helping me go soul what he's out. No, no, no. When he was at the pub, I knew where he was. Yeah, yeah. It changes us, doesn't it? Saving faith does. That's how we ended up dying to sin. When you touch Jesus Christ like that woman, remember? He's surrounded by men. It was a man's society back then. It wasn't that bad either. And it was a man's society, and there's crowds around Jesus Christ and a woman who has a an issue of blood, she's constantly hemorrhaging for 18 years. She has spent every penny going to doctor after doctor after doctor, never getting better. She's crawling on the ground, and there are all these men walking with Jesus. She couldn't walk up to Jesus. They wouldn't know who she was or what this was. It would be a scandal. So she's crawling on the ground, and she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Remember that woman? And she gets up there, people stepping all over her. And she just touches his garment. He stops and he says, who touched me? <laughs> I mean, Peter, he doesn't see her. He says, master, everyone's touching you. He said, no, no, no. Somebody touched me by faith. And then he looked down and he says, woman. And the crowd pulled back. He says, thy faith have saved thee. And he took her by the hand, picked her up, and she was healed and smiling. And she went away. Listen, when you touch Jesus Christ by faith, you're not working, you're not praying long prayers, you're not going to church 57 days out of the month, you are just by faith accessing his kindness and you touch his grace, whack. You have, there's a part of you that dies and a part of you that comes alive, amen. Paul calls it being baptized into Jesus Christ. Not baptized into water or into a church, but into Jesus Christ. It's called being immersed. Go to 2 Corinthians. Go to, go to the right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 17. 5.17. I know a lot of you think, kind of imagine that it says this, Therefore, if any man be in church, he's a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in water. No, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Here's a kid, and he's growing up. Vietnam, maybe. And that kid's an orphan. And that kid's owned by nobody. And he's got some people trying to take care of him, feed him, and show him kindness, whatever. And then some family from Ireland comes in there and says, we want that one. And from that moment, after they filled out those forms, paid all the fees and everything, walk over to that child, grab their hand, and then wrap their arms around them, says, you're with us now. You're in our family. You understand that? That kid no longer is an orphan, is he? And the moment Jesus Christ was invited into my life, I got into Christ. He took me to, his, to himself, and I've never been able to get out since. Amen. I've been immersed into Jesus Christ. People who say you need to get baptized are lying. And they're damning people when their thing is they need to get into Jesus Christ. They used to say that when I was growing up. Man, I'm really into this music, man. I got into the book. I got into that story. Well, I got into Jesus Christ. So according to God, you're get dead now. And the old you is dead and buried 
And the truth is, everything Jesus went through has been applied to us. Watch this. Jesus died, he was buried, and then he rose again, didn't he? That is, that's what he did. That's why it's called the good news. But you see, God still sees me, all right? He sees a sinner. But when I look to that Savior and I say, Jesus, I don't understand it. I don't know why you want me. I don't know what you did that was like this. What, what drove you to do it? But please, if you died for sinners, save me. I'm trusting you. You know what God sees from that moment? He sees me through Christ. He sees what Christ went through in, in being punished and, and the wrath of God and the justice of God and the payment of Jesus Christ was enough so that when God sees me, he sees me through his son. And you know what he sees? Forgiven. Amen. He sees somebody washed in the blood of the lamb, though your sins be as scarlet, they are as white as snow now because of Christ who was perfect. I mean, I'm, folks, everything Jesus went through has been applied to me. Some of you have uh, found out that you got a job uh, because your daddy used to work for the company. You know what I'm talking about? Wasn't what you knew, is who you knew, amen? Do you know why I get into heaven? Not because of what I know, it's because of who I know, amen? <laughs> amen. I, I, everything that Jesus did has been applied to me as a gift. That's grace. Are you getting some of this? You watch every day such defiling news, just the front page of the newspaper is almost defiling every day. All of this influence so brings us down until we start to read Romans 6 and we go, wow, I'm blessed. The grace of God is amazing. <laughs> and we can walk in the newness of life now. Mm. You know, baptism, you know what baptism is? It is a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's why baby sprinkling is a joke, and it's not right. Every one of you that were baptized as a baby did you no good at all because you're still sinners, amen? <laughs> that, it did better if you had never been baptized because you never would have looked back on it thinking you were good and that it helped you. You know, the best thing that could ever happen to somebody is to know they're a sinner and they're lost and on their way to hell. You don't need no baptism or confirmation or Holy Communion to make you feel better along the way. You need to be rebuked and exposed for who you are and for you to finally go, I don't want to go to hell. Amen. Baptism is not a thing that gets you to heaven. Baptism is a picture of what Christ did to get you to heaven. Oh, if you only wanted to be free from sin's control. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make you want to be free, not to be good. <laughs> I kind of want to be good, but I fail, but I do want to be free. Does that make sense? So number one, we are dead to sin now. Doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore. First John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we are liars. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It just means we don't have to sin anymore. We should not continue to sin. How many of you get upset? Don't raise your hand. Every one of you should. How many of you get bitter? How many of you struggle with lust or, or, or over much sorrow? How many of you have lived a life at times of lying and deceit? You shouldn't continue in that. Amen. There are going to be times where you do blow it. 
but you shouldn't stay that way. Sin is not our master anymore, controlling our heart and our thoughts and our actions anymore. anymore. Jesus is. We are eternally saved. We are secure in our salvation. And that'll be proven when we get to chapter 8, okay? And yes, we'll read the Bible and we'll go, man, I didn't know I was doing that wrong. <laughs> but one of the proofs that you're saved is that you grieve about it and you go, Lord, help me so I stop. Amen? Amen. If you read the Bible and it has no effect on you, you're not saved. You say, you seem, you seem to get upset. No, I'm not getting upset. I'm trying to make a point that you don't go out of here going, you're okay. Because a doctor does not need patients coming in and going out the same. The doctor needs to have an effect, has to have something to help them so they are helped. And when you come in here, I hope you want to be helped. Number two, we have a totally new life to live now. You know what you're going to do in heaven? You're going to sing. <laughs> you're going to praise God. You're going to worship God. You're going to thank God for eternity. Why don't you start living that life now? Church ought to be a little a bit of heaven, amen? Where it ought to be like a reminder of, this is what it's going to be like in heaven. i got to put up with these people forever. <laughs> I might as well start loving them. Amen. Live the newness of life now. Not when you die and go to heaven, man. Um, why would anyone continue to sin if they've been forgiven so much? It's not that we don't sin at all, but that we don't continue in sin. Why would a drunkard who has been freed from the need to drink go back to drink ever again? Why would a thief who has been, had all the charges paid off by the judge go back to thieving? Why would he do that? I think it's probably because they have never identified with Christ and never been born again. They never realized he did all that he did for them. Maybe they never understood the new life given to them by Christ. They're still living in the old life because they don't realize they have a whole new one. They're still living in the old shack instead of realizing they have a new mansion. Or maybe they just want to sin. I don't know. Do you know you have the choice now whether you do right or wrong? We used to teach that to our children. You are responsible for what you do. Amen? Remember that when we were taught that as kids? Now our kids are, oh, little... Sean, I'll go talk to his mother. He's a bully. Uh, I, I know you beat him up and he's on the street. I know, but it, it's his fault. We make everything for our kids other people's fault. Oh, that teacher, she upset you. I'm going to go talk to the teacher now. Be careful. There are abuses, but let me tell you, little Johnny needs to be responsible for how he reacts, amen, and what he does. And you, as a Christian, you have the ability to choose to do the right thing now. But maybe you just want to sin. Yeah. Fourth, baptism is a picture of identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and that's all it is. Remember, we learned Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. Not Mary. And baptism is a picture, that's all it is, of Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, and I am identified with that Savior <laughs> Not a temple or, or a goddess or a prayer retreat. That's my life now. The old me died when I got saved. And I'm living a new life that Christ gave me now. 
Again, as I said, you're either dead towards God and continue in sin, or you're dead towards sin and you live in victory. You say, well, can we live in between? Yeah. That's called carnality. That's called a contradiction. It's like a man who's married, still going back to the old girlfriends. Amen. You've been delivered from that stuff. It's time to live for Christ now. Amen. So if you've not repented and believed the gospel, today's the day. Amen. If you're not saved, you're still dead in your sins, and they will catch up with you one day. It's the grace of God that you're still alive. Nod your head. You need to admit you're wicked. <laughs> we don't like those things. Pastor, be nice. It doesn't work. If I just came and I just hugged you and just told you you're the best boys, I'm talking to dogs. I need to talk to people who need to face up. God sees me as I really am. Amen. Sinful men and women. And you need to admit that today because judgment is coming. You're right now, you're on the wrong side of the road. You're living and, uh, as you want. But one of these days, that will end. And you're not ready for it. You say, well, when I get older, I'll get back in the right lane. It happens like that. You have no guarantee of five minutes from now, much less five days. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're not born again and have not been scripturally baptized, well, I was baptized as a baby. Eh, wrong answer. If you've not been scripturally baptized, which means after you got born again, plan on making it public. We've got a baptism coming up soon. Come talk to me. And let's get it done. Amen. Amen. But this, let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. The first thing that needs to be done is you need to talk to God if you're not saved and say, Lord, that mean guy at the front is right. I am a sinner. And I've been doing what I want. I've been driving the wrong lane, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But my sorries can't save me. I need Jesus now in me. I want to be born again. Please save a wretch like me. And man, I tell you what, you'll move from death unto life. From darkness to light, you'll move from being lost to being found. And all of a sudden, that Bible will come alive. I remember the first day I got glasses. I was about 16 years old. And all of a sudden, I put those glasses on. I could see individual blades of grass. It was beautiful. <laughs> and when you get, man, that new heart in you, every word comes alive. Every color is more vibrant. It is priceless, folks, let me tell you. And I can't convince you the Holy Spirit needs to do that. I pray he does.